Pastor Xavier Reese, discerning cultural gospel from the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we're hearing a lot today is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, but propagation. If they accept Jesus, all their problems will be gone. If they accept Jesus, their financial problems will be solved. If they accept Jesus, they'll be healed. Jesus never offered the gospel once based on any of those things. The only thing that he offered the gospel on was repentance. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Though the letter of Jude was written nearly 2,000 years ago, it's still relevant to today. The simple truth is, we live amidst false teachers who propagate all kinds of counterfeit Christian ideologies, philosophies, and worldly false religions, and every ism imaginable. And since we're surrounded by so many spiritual counterfeits, Pastor Xavier exhorts us why it's essential to reinforce our faith. Because when we saturate our minds with scriptural principles, we develop a filter that allows us to discern truth from error. Let's listen. The book of Jude. It's not very big. It only contains 25 verses. But what a powerful epistle. How appropriate it is for today. I could not think of any other epistle that would fit what's going on today. I mean, it is so packed. It is so, you know, if I had to say all of what you said, I probably would have taken two volumes of 100 pages each. And it's just powerful. It's almost like the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. It speaks of those individuals who were really living apart from God. But yet they were going through formalities. They were divorcing their wives. They were offering sacrifices, but yet they were living polluted lives. You have the book of Acts, which is the beginning of the church history in the age of grace. It speaks of the acts of the apostles. Here you have the acts of the apostates. James says that men of faith have good works accompany their life. Here Jude tells us, the brother of James, as we will see, that bad works accompany apostates' lives. As I look around and I travel, as I get around to different churches, as I look at what's going on in the world scene when 2% of Europe, England specifically, attend church, when I look at all the major nations and countries who have had revival in the past and have known God, and have walked away from God. And I look at our very own nation and how we have just turned our back upon God. Now our nation becoming very adamant in terms of action against anything that stands for God. I would have to say that our nation is in the midst of apostasy. Pastors who have gone through four years of college, three years of seminary, and do not believe in the inspiration of scriptures, the virgin birth, the coming of Christ, sin or need of regeneration, and they take churches over and they preach a social gospel and philosophy. I challenge you to enter some of the churches in Pasadena. Now, we are not the only one, so I'm not saying that. There are good, godly men and churches out there, but they're few. 
They're very few. And you need to understand that. That's not a boastful thing of anybody who says it. That's just a very keen observation of what's going on in the world today. And we need to understand the criticalness of the time that we're living in. It's not a time to be playing games. Really, the age of grace is no time to play games because the Lord can come back at any time. So I think the epistle of Jude is most fitting, especially even before the book of Revelation. Now, the authorship to the book of Jude here is ascribed to Jude, as the first verse says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. Of the five James that we find in the scriptures who could be potential authors, there are only two that could seriously be considered. One of them is Judas Labaius or Thaddeus, which we find in Matthew chapter 10 verse 3 or Luke 6:16 or Mark 3:18 but he says and brother of James whoever James is he had to have been someone well known and so it really narrows it down to the second one which is Jude the Lord's brother James was the Lord's brother not full brothers Half-brothers. Now, the Catholic Church has a problem with that, but that's the Catholic Church's problem, not the Lord's. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, it says there, Is this not, speaking about Jesus, the carpenter's son, is not his mother called Mary, and his brothers, plural, James, Joseph, Simeon, Judas, now, the Catholic Church will tell you that that means cousins. It does not mean cousins. It means brothers. Just what it says. So much for the perpetual virginity of Mary. Mary enjoyed a full, joyous life which included sexual fulfillment with her husband after the birth of Jesus Christ. And here you have four of his brothers mentioned. You'll also find them in Mark 6.3. And so Jesus had half-brothers, the same mother, but of course not the same father. Now, James, the author of the book of James, was also a half-brother, and we've seen that as we looked at the book of James, as well as uh, his mentioned name in the book of Galatians in chapter 1, verse 19, where Paul says, And I went up and saw James. He was a leader of the church at Jerusalem, the church council in Acts 15. He was the head spokesman. Paul mentions him in Galatians chapter 1, verse 19, that he went up there after he had fled for his life from Arabia. And so most scholars believe that Jude here is the brother of James, the brother of Jesus, which is interesting because he calls himself a bond servant, one by choice. Try to put yourself in the position of James, Joseph, Simeon, and Judas, his brothers. One time in the Gospel of John in chapter 7, verse 5, he was supposed to go to the feast, and they were telling him to go up to the feast. But in 7, verse 5, it says, For even his brothers did not believe in him. Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. And so they were unbelievers. They did not believe that Jesus, their brother, was the Messiah of the world. Now, you can imagine how they must have felt 
after the resurrection. They don't try to pull any rank. James never says, James, the brother of Jesus. Jude doesn't say the brother of Jesus, but he calls himself a bondservant, one who was a slave by choice and for life. Now, as I said, they were all non-believers, but if we look at Acts chapter 1, verse 14, when they were all together gathered and praying in the fellowship of the Lord, you find there the mother of Jesus and his brothers also together. So the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 14 tells us that they were all present in the day of Pentecost. I don't know if you've ever noticed the note that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 9, 5. But he tells us that the brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ were traveling missionaries. Did you know that? 1 Corinthians 9, 5, he says, Paul arguing, remember about the money of the funds and how the minister is to receive. But he says, I don't want any money. I don't want anything. I don't want you to glory in anything else. I'm not going to take anything. And here in, in verse 5, he says, Do we have no right to take along a believing wife? And he's talking about disciples. They're men like anybody else. They can marry. They can date. As do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, Peter. So apparently the Lord's brothers were traveling missionaries, spreading the gospel. Can you imagine the zealousness, the love, the, I mean, realizing that, man, they had missed the boat before the resurrection, but they weren't going to miss it after the resurrection. Their lives got turned around. Just like some of us, you know, we walked in our own mind and our own energies and our own devices. And then the grace of God came into our life and, and man, he turned us around. And now we just see what the Lord has and we just desire to minister to others and to just share the love of Christ. Because the world is dark and the world is perishing. God didn't send a son to condemn the world, John says, but he sent his son into the world that the world might be saved. And he just happens to use people like you and myself. He doesn't use those who think they are capable. He doesn't use those who pride themselves in their diplomas. He uses normal, common, everyday people like you and myself. Because that's where the rubber meets the road. Some Christians are so theological and so theoretical and so up in the sky that people can't even understand them. Jesus talked in common day terms. He talked about sowers. He talked about just weeds, tares. He talked about fish. He talked about sheep. Common language that people could understand. They say, oh, I understand. He humbled himself. He went out of his way. He met the woman of Samaria. He said, I must needs go through Samaria. Why? Because he knew she was there. He knew she was hurting. He knew her emptiness. And he knew she was ready. <laughs> and so Jesus is always right on time. Now, the authenticity of the epistle, based on external evidence by the church fathers, it's attested through many of them. Polycarp alluded to it in 69 through 155 A.D. 
Theophilus of Antioch in 180 cited it. And these are just some of the church fathers. Tertullian and Carthage accepted it in 150 to 220 A.D. Clement of Alexandria, 155 to 215. He accepted it and quoted it. Origen quoted Jude, 185 to 253 A.D. By the end of the second century, it was accepted as canonical or that it was inspired and fit in the canon. The canon just means the read or the measure. That's all the canon means. And it was accepted in what it was called the moratorium canon, the accepted canon of that time. And so I'm always amazed when these individual scholars always try to say that certain books in the Bible, we can't really know if they're inspired or if they wrote them. But who cares if Jude wrote it? What matters is that it was written and it was inspired of God. And there's only one author from Genesis to Revelation. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter tells us. I mean, you know, if you write me a letter, I don't care if you write it in pencil or ink. I'm not going to ask what kind of pen you wrote it with. I mean, really, it's irrelevant. And so we'll leave all those arguments to the uh, educated people. The Western church accepted it a lot earlier than the Eastern church. The Eastern church did not accept it until the 4th century. And if you study church history, there was a great division between the Western church and the Eastern church. There's still a great variance of difference between us. And it wasn't until the 4th century when they accepted it, but it was already accepted by then. And so based on external evidence, the epistle of Jude is embraced wholeheartedly. You will find some, but that's not the majority. Based on internal evidence, looking at the epistle, verse 1, he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. And if he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, which I believe he was, he can't lie. Now, if you start doing some study on your own and you get some of these commentaries that are real academic and they get into uh, lower criticism, higher criticism, or what is known as redactive criticism and source criticism, then they'll tell you how they don't believe that this man wrote it and all that. You'll get all kinds of weird theories. And they'll give you all kinds of reasoning. You get into some of those commentaries, you're going to have to weed through probably 200 pages just so, so he'll tell you who he believes wrote it and why he believes he wrote it. Just pass that up. Just read the first verse, Jude. A lot faster and a lot more credible. Jude distinguishes himself from the apostles in verse 17. He says, But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude did not try to pass himself as an apostle. He made a distinction between he and the apostles. And he's only affirming what the apostles had warned about. What we get here is nothing new, but it is different in that it is so compact and it has a central focus. The entire book of Jude has a central focus like no other epistle has. And it is that of apostasy and apostates. In verse 3, he says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. 
Jude tells us that he was compelled by the Spirit. He had other things in mind and heart. And the Spirit redirected him. You said, come on, Xavier. Well, remember Paul wanted to go to Asia? And the Holy Spirit forbade him. He wanted to go to Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit forbid him. And then he saw the man from Macedonia who said, come over and help us. How often we read in the Scripture, the Holy Spirit said, in Acts 13, it says, the Holy Spirit says, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work of the ministry which I have called him to. It's the Holy Spirit, the Paracletus, that Jesus said he was sent to us to guide us, to teach us, to remind us of all things, to bring us things into remembrance. So many things. He's the one that convicts us. He's the one that, that ministers unto us. He's the one that comforts us. He's the Lord for the defense, if you will, to an extent. One just like Jesus. He's here with us and Jesus with the Father. And so he attributes the leading of the Spirit to the writing of this epistle. His epistle resembles James in terms of the style of its severity. James is pretty caustic. He doesn't mess around. He says, listen, you guys say you guys are right on Christians. You could have fooled me. And he begins to lay a, a tremendous scolding, admonishment for those who say they're Christians, but they're not living up to par. Jude is the very same way. I mean, he hits it with full force about the severity of the attack on the faith by these apostates. He doesn't shirk back. He also uses imagery of nature. So does James. Both brothers get right to the point. They don't mess around. There's great similarities between Jude and the second chapter of Peter. Remember the epistle of Peter? Remember it with three H's. Your heritage, chapter 1. The heretic in chapter 2. And your hope, chapter 3. Jesus Christ returned. And right between your heritage and the hope of the return of Christ is the heretic. Jesus said in the parables of Matthew 13, the kingdom parables, that in his absence there would be much deception. And that deception would continue to grow. And it would reach a climax at the very end. Now as you look and you study church history you will find that no time at all can be compared to the time of today. The hatred towards Christianity continues to grow. Many of the things that Jude mentions, Peter mentioned. The angels, Sodom and Gomorrah. He uses Cain, Korah, Balaam. Same imageries. Clouds without water, trees that have no fruit. I don't think that the epistle of Jude was limited to the present problem that Jude was facing. I believe that the epistle of Jude fulfills a greater dimension than the present problem that Jude was facing. I believe it is predictive of the very last days before Jesus Christ returns. That we will see an increase on men and women who will turn their back on Christ. Men and women who deny the Lord and Savior who bought them. Men and women who were used of God in the church will not be there any longer. And I think the scriptures teach that. I was sitting in class one day 
And this professor was trying to convince us that the world is getting better. And all the students, you know, they're eager, 18, 19, 20, 21. They're in there just gobbling it up. Raise my hand up. Prof? I said, I'm sorry. I think you're in error. I think the scriptures teach opposite. And it's tremendous how many people feel that the world is getting better. There is a whole group within the church who believe in kingdom theology, that they are going to set up the kingdom. But many of the people who are involved in social issues, who are attempting to grab hold of the power and authority of politics and city government and different things, they believe that they are going to bring in the kingdom. How silly. And I'm amazed at the things that people are accepting and what we're hearing a lot today is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, but a cultural propagation of a false gospel. Telling people that if they will accept Jesus, they'll be happy. If they accept Jesus, all their problems will be gone. If they accept Jesus, their financial problems will be solved. If they accept Jesus, they'll be healed. Jesus never offered the gospel once based on any of those things. The only thing that he offered the gospel on was repentance. And if anybody comes to Christ for any other reason apart from repentance of their sins, they have not come to Christ. They just haven't. A form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, Paul tells Timothy. I think Jude is very fitting for us today. Very fitting. When most of the pulpits in our city are involved with social and political and sociological and psychological issues instead of the exposition of God's Word, verse-by-verse -verse exposition, something's definitely wrong. When our churches are all caught up in little committees and little meetings and, and we got to have singles ministry and this ministry and that ministry and they're not doing anything to reach out to the lost, something's definitely wrong. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I tell you, if Paul came back, he would never recognize the church. Some of the men that were used tremendously by God, if Wesley came back, if he saw his denomination, he wouldn't believe it. Mighty godly man. But look at the denomination. All Saints Church of Pasadena, they all had a vote. They all voted for abortion. Interesting. Entire denominations embracing homosexuality, ordaining homosexuals. Don't tell me we're not in the apostasy. But it's only the beginning. Which only tells me one thing. Jesus is coming to get his church. He's at the door. I'm not looking for Antichrist, man. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. And I'm looking for him real soon. Whether he comes for me or I die, but he's coming real soon. Pastor Xavier Observing just as Jude wrote in his epistle,
the many diversions of a cultural gospel that come between the church and the simple truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And we've had to break only partway through this study. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in next time for the conclusion, as always, you can pick up your own personal copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply Introduction to Jude. It's available on CD for just $4. That title, once again, is Introduction to Jude. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please don't forget to include the call letters of this station however you choose to contact us. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com